Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kiros, and I'm the author and founder of First Century Youth Ministry. But if you want to learn about Jesus from his Jewish context and get better at discipleship in the 21st century, this podcast is for you. This podcast is a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back to the show. I've got Dr. Chap Clark with me once again. Dr. Clark's going to be a special guest on for the next little bit. He's going to be hanging out with us on the show and sharing his wisdom as we look to combine the world of the first century with the needs of today's 21st century youth leader to help them get better at what they do. So Dr. Clark, welcome back to the show. So today we're talking about how disciple makers see people. So we're kind of doing this series on disciple makers blank, right? Disciple makers create authentic community, disciple makers see people, disciple makers, you get the idea. So today we're going to be looking at disciple makers see people. So Mark and I, my former uh, co-host on the show, talked a lot about how Jesus invested in the people of the land or in Hebrew, they're called the um, um, and so they were the 99%, the working poor who were overtaxed by Rome and the Herods and the temple system and couldn't afford to be religiously pure and therefore were looked at by the religious elite as not good enough to participate in God's kingdom and therefore kind of left them outside of the kingdom and didn't truly try to understand nor see these people, but simply looked at their outside circumstances and said, nah they don't they they don't they don't they don't make the cut. And interestingly enough, Jesus even in his ministry when he calls his disciples, we see that he actually called people who were no longer in the Jewish educational system, they were working their father's trade, therefore shows us that they were not the the very best. They weren't the top uh, the cream of the crop if you will in the Jewish educational system. Yet Jesus says, "Hey, come follow me. I think that you can be like me." So at every level, at every turn, We see Jesus, when he interacts with people, he looks past the surface of who they are and actually sees them. And I love what what you wrote in your book. Um, I think it was Hurt 2.0. You said, by the time children, even the successful ones, reach high school and middle adolescence, they are aware of the fact that that for most of their lives, they have been pushed, prodded, and molded to become a person whose value rests in his or her ability to serve someone else's agenda. And I when I remember reading that for the first time, it just hit me in the gut. And I was like, wow, have I been that person? And and sadly, I, I think I have, because it was more about how many kids were there and then it was about who was there. It was about how many seats filled the room. Then I wonder what's going on in the life of that team. And so we're going to talk today about how disciple makers, just like our Rabbi Jesus, see people and really trying to get behind the surface of what's really going on. So Dr. Clark's going to share some of his insight on how we can work towards truly seeing people as disciple makers. That's a great introduction. And it's, it's so uncomfortable to be called Dr. Clark as often as you do. <laughs> I was 26 years a teacher, and I only got called that when somebody wanted their grade changed. I'm just oh. letting you know. Which, you know, I'm an easy B, so I, I don't know why they'd want a grade change. Nonetheless, you can call me whatever you want as long as it's nice. Sure. Clean, but my grandkids call me granddaddy. So there oh, you go. Oh, that's fun. All that said, this is I, I love this topic. Um, 
obviously, I've spent a lot, lot of years trying to figure out how Jesus actually related to people and what does that mean for us? Yeah. What did it mean then? And what does it mean now for us? And and the first thing that uh, kind of, especially the scene idea, one of my very favorite passages is Luke 7, hmm. which is uh, Simon the Pharisee. And, um, the, you know, there's four anointing passages. All four gospels have an anointing passage. This is the other three in Matthew, Mark, and John are all just before the cross. So they're anointing for the burial of Jesus. Mm. This is in the middle of his ministry, and it's a standalone passage, even though Simon's name is used. Simon's also used in one of the others. But there's a lot of Simons. There's, you know, uh, there's two disciples, Simon. There's Jesus' brothers, Simon. There's Theodore Alvin and Simon. That's what, no, I'm just kidding about Simon that. and Garfunkel, you know, people. Like uh, yeah, yeah. Garfunkel was, uh, what was the person <laughs> himself? He's Pretty really sure. old. In other words, Simon was a very common name. So it does, this is a standalone event yeah. that I think is so significant that hardly anybody talks about it that way. Even commentators don't necessarily find it that way. But when you see that, the scene is Jesus is invited to this guy's house for a dinner party with his friends. And in those days when you'd have a dinner party, it'd be outside usually. And, and people would kind of come by. It's kind of like an outdoor restaurant area, sort mm-hmm. of. And so when people can come by... It's semi-public. And when the the woman comes in, who all we know is she's a sinful woman, but we don't really know what that means, likely sexual sin. But everybody knew her, clearly. So the Simon's getting this thought. This woman comes in crying, uh, you know, wiping his feet with her tears, Mm -hmm. with her hair. Yeah. And this tender scene, and and Simon's very critical, as his friends are. And he thinks to himself, and so Jesus tells a little parable. Mm Mm-hmm to him about two people out of debt. But right. the end of all that, he says to Simon, he goes, do you see this woman? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this is when you read the scripture, you guys go slow and look for those absolute spotlight nuggets of gold in the midst of a pan of dirt. Mm-hmm. That Do you see her? Do you, you're critiquing her from a distance. Yep. You're, You've separated her. You've cut yourself off from her. You're sitting at the table with me. Do you even see her? Wow. And the whole event is about the fact that the point of life together in God's kingdom is seeing one another. So that the first thing about this idea of seeing, Jesus is so uber observant. Yes, with the divinity to know way more than any of us. But in mm. all of his interactions, when you look at the life of Jesus, you, you you realize his observation of people and circumstances and words, um, very mindful. These are really important ways of, of seeing our ministry. Mm-hmm. That's I love that you've talked about that. So that's the first thing. Secondly, yeah. I've grown up um, in the youth ministry, I guess, leadership world. I don't know. I don't know if mm. Marco would put it that or whoever, but. Sure. For a long time, uh, several decades now, the number one word in youth ministry for people, if we want to get kids' attention, is to challenge them, which I call Mm. verbal pointing. I I think, uh, to me, it's the last thing Jesus did. Hmm. He, well, with the vulnerable, and you can say it's 99%. You know, I'm not going to dispute the details of that, but, uh, you know, the idea of, of, of where we come in ministry from a hierarchical 
place of power. That's exactly what we have when we have a role with our volunteer, our leader, mm-hmm. our parent, yeah. our church, whatever, yeah. young life, yeah. yep. Christ. We come at them with power. Mm-hmm. When we come at them with power. Um, we we get this idea that we got to use that power to get their attention to come into the space that we are telling them we've come to share with them. Mm. Instead of coming alongside of them and allowing them to enter a space that Christ has already created for them, mm. and we get to participate in that. That's a really different way to see ministry. Yeah, that's um, good. So I, I would say this idea of seeing is more, seeing is not only observing and seeing, but to see our ministry as a ministry of seeing, observing, coming alongside, building bridges hmm. of trust. And um, I'm going to get into that in the next week's thing. Yeah, which which was the rabbi-disciple relationship was get so close to one another that you become like one another. It was about sharing space and getting to know God together. But it took more intentionality. And as you said, I think that's really good that we take our power and we use it to create space for them to get to know God and to invest in them instead of to challenge them to something, you know, that maybe they don't know how to get there without somebody else's help. Yeah. To see is to value. Yeah. To value is to share. Yeah. That's good. And in the midst of that, that's where the Lord and the Holy Spirit does the best work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because I I was just talking about this with the students last night at youth group. We were contrasting the birth story with Herod the Great and the shepherds. And Herod the Great, he lusted for power. He loved power. When somebody threatened his desire for power, he wanted to kick him out. He wanted to get rid of them, literally murdered them majority of the time. And the shepherds, because they were maybe in a place, maybe they where they didn't want to be, a place of little influence, a place that probably most people didn't want to be a shepherd because it didn't have much recognition, yet they chose to be faithful to play the role that God had for them. And God showed up and gave them one of the greatest messages that anybody could have ever shared. And they got to be a part of God's kingdom because they didn't use what little power they may have had to abuse people like King Herod did. And so, you know, my main thrust of the message was, is, you know, do you live like a King Herod who feels threatened by the power of other people? Or do you live in submission to God, even if that means that you're in a place where you don't want to be because you're simply trusting in God's work and in his plan for your life? You know, do we do that in our youth ministries? Do we lust for a bigger youth ministry? And do we want more power? We want to be a more powerful person of influence in the youth ministry community or whatever you want to say about it. And in doing so, we, you know, I I, I will watch some people just, you know, just reach and reach and reach for the newest youth ministry model to grow their youth ministry. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, I wonder who in your youth ministry is like deeply hurting and needs an adult to talk to them. Like, I just wondered that, like, what if that became our focus was really investing in the few and loving them deeply without expecting our youth ministry to blow up in numbers? Yeah, numbers aren't bad, but it's really the focus, which we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks, even more. I really appreciate that perspective. Yeah. Well done. That's that's great. Anything else you want to add to the conversation? Yeah, there's one more that... That actually relates to this, the Herod sure. and the shepherds. Ooh, good. Um, well, and this idea of, of Jesus primarily, 
how did you put it? Um, he really came alongside. Majority of his time, loving people were forgotten. Mm-hmm. I I think as recorded in scripture, yes, you can make a case for that numerically, probably. Mm-hmm. But but in reality, it's because he knows every human heart mm-hmm. intimately. And he knows the reality of how each one of us are just trying to figure it out. Sure. That there's really no such thing as as the the people who are you know better than others or separate from that's like that Luke 7 passage with Simon. Sure. It's here it's everybody is that Jesus actually encountered a lot of different people in a lot of different settings, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with each one. Now he was always gentle and kind, always with the really vulnerable. Yeah. Never yeah. one. Once did he rebuke or strongly take on. Sure. Uh, sure. Sometimes he did verbally sort of challenge without using that word, obviously. Sure. But, um, the powers that be should know better, but he still mm-hmm. had this intent of, I observe, I see, I'm here, yeah. I invite you. Yeah. Uh, the rich young ruler that came to him and so many others where he still had compassion. And Marcus says he had compassion on him. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that for us, when you're in ministry, whether it's youth ministry or any ministry, uh, what you find yourself doing is you're attracted to the people that you felt safe with and connected to when you were in high school. Sure. The kind of, sure. and you are threatened by the people that you were, you may be 50 years old, but mm-hmm. if you're 30 years old, you're threatened by the kind of people that you were threatened by when you were in high school and you didn't like the dorks that you mm-hmm. considered were not up to your level that could drag you down. In other words, we take our, our our social environment and our level of of acceptance of others is formed in adolescence. Sure. And we carry that into ministry. And so here's what happens is we all huh. have our favorite kids. We all some of us are, oh, we're called to the ones who are really forgotten and pushed aside. Hmm. And therefore, somehow, okay, something in us is causing that, which is great. But yeah. we're called to all of them. Hmm. And we need to see all of them. As individual, we're going to get to that too. Yeah. In the next next week, I think. Yeah. And so I, that's one thing I just want to remember, remind everybody is, if we're going to do what the rabbis actually did and Jesus did, sure, um, the faithful rabbis, not the ones who sought power themselves. That's right. Which we all do that some. That's but true. to be aware that's of true. why do I love certain kids more than others? Why why do I more spend more time with certain leaders and parents than others? Hmm. Can I see them all as Christ sees them, which is his precious child that's wandered away? Yeah. You know, the lost sheep. And that that's kind of one thing in the midst of this. I want to make sure we don't lose. Yeah, that's a good reminder. Um, it, you know, ministry and life of following Jesus is all about constantly checking our motives in our heart. Man, because there are so many moments when I'm thinking about myself and I'm caught up on what's best for me than I am thinking about what's motivating me, what's driving me right now. Is it out of love for God and people or is it something prideful, right? And so you've, you've offered us some great things to think about as we think about how disciple makers really see kids. And so I pray that this conversation has been fruitful for you as you grow as a youth leader in loving the kids in your midst. But before we hop off the show today, I want to let you guys know about an opportunity that Dr. Clark has for you to connect with him as you grow as a disciple maker He is going to be speaking at a conference through Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary on discipleship. And so you can join him in person or online. It's the third week of January. 
And I will leave uh, a link in the show notes for you to connect with that opportunity and possibly keep learning from Dr. Clark. So friends, thanks again for joining us for this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye.